19-year-old Millie Knight is preparing for a race that will see her hit speeds of 115 kilometers per hour, registered blind. She's going to rely on her guide, Brett Wilde, to talk her down the mountain. They are a team. Into the gates they go. Three, two, one. Wilde, he pushes off first. Go! Night follows afterwards. The mountains fall away. You can hear the cut of skis on snow and the intense exchange of instructions. This is all that can be heard as Wilde shouts out the course. Spectators stand silent, forbidden to make noise. Night has only 5% vision. It's It's a peripheral vision, and it's blurry, but she catches sight of Wilde's orange jacket, which keeps her on track, twists and turns, rhythmic, and then the final stretch, downhill, ski straight, the body tucked, all out until they're over the line. The mountain's silence is broken by cheering. Knight and Wilde have become champions in the World Para-Alpine Skiing Championships. It's a first for the UK at such an event, but Knight fails to stop. She crashes at 115 kilometers an hour. Millie Knight's guide is Brett Wilde and as long as he stayed in front of her wearing his bright orange jacket Millie can see him as long as he keeps shouting instructions in her ears she knows where to go but now she's fallen her face is all cut up she's in hospital one month later she's at a test event for the Pyeongchang Paralympics and she finds herself in hospital again She, it turns out that she has concussion and she's taken off the ski slopes and she starts to recuperate with light gym exercises, but too much work could wipe her out for days. Millie thinks this, have I lost this? Have I lost my bottle? Am I not going to be as good as I was? Unable to confront the mountains, the fear starts to eat away at her. So writes BBC journalist, a BBC journalist. Now, maybe you've never wiped out on, on a ski hill. I know I haven't because I don't ski. But I'm sure that there are other times when you've crashed and burned, when you've fallen down, when you've wiped out either emotionally or professionally or mentally or morally or spiritually, and you've wondered whether you have what it takes to actually get back up on your feet again. And, and I remember myself times when, when I failed maybe professionally, when I've, when I've stuttered really badly in a public setting, on this stage actually, and afterwards I felt like I let everyone down. I felt embarrassed. I felt shame. I felt even self-hatred. But I know that there have also been many times when I've fallen down morally, when, when, when I've turned against those principles that I hold really dear, when I've allowed sin to get under my skin, resulting in me doing things that I am ashamed of. Last week we looked at what happens when we allow sin into the camp. How do we do... How do we deal with it? We have to call sin what it is. Sin. And then we have to understand that it is vermin. That if we allow it the run of the place, that it will settle in and breed and it will never leave us alone. That thing which we thought was under control, that was harmless, is now out of control. It has us under control. It's a monster that breeds and breeds. So we have to admit it. We have to identify it. We have to put it to death. 
But what happens after the sin has been confessed and repented of? What next? Is it just about um, resetting our spiritual life to zero and hoping that it never happens again? Well, what we're going to look at here, here, here today, the second attack on the city of Ai, what I hope is that it gives us the confidence that this isn't the end, that sin isn't the end, that there is life and hope and victory after sin, that there is um, another option than just limping along and hoping that it never happens again. So if you're someone who needs to know that the Christian life is more than just an endless cycle of sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting, then I want you to listen up. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Joshua 8, verse 1 says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered it into your hands, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush right behind the city. Now, what happened at the end of chapter 7 is that that this man called Achan is stoned, the, the sin is, is dealt with, it's finished, it's over. Then straight after that, the Lord comes in with these words, do not fear. He says, do not be discouraged. Now, we have to think about this. The Israelites had screwed up majorly. They had failed, they had messed up, they had sinned. But as soon as that relationship is restored, God comes to them and he says, do not fear. Those are his first words. Yes, AI is still there. Yes, it still has to be overcome. But do not fear them or a repeat of last time. Don't allow that memory of that failure to finish the job that Achan started. You know, because this is half of the power of sin. Even after the sin is over, even after, even after the sin has been sorted out, even after, after the sin has been repented with, its shadow, its memory can still linger. Even though in God's eyes we are guilt-free because of Jesus Christ, we can still feel the guilt. And these fears can sideline us. Even though we may be pure in God's eyes, those fears can still render us useless. Even though in Christ we are sons and daughters of God himself, we can feel like slaves, which is why we sing this song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God, which is based on Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, which says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, who was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls, call, calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. But the thing is, is that if Satan can keep us a slave, a slave of fear, then it's as if Satan has won. Which is why as soon as Achan's sin is sorted out, it's finished, God does not pause a beat before jumping straight in, saying, do not 
be afraid or discouraged. He's reminding them of Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, where he says, uh, where, where he said to them on the other side of the Jordan, he said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the source of their confidence is not in their circumstances. The, the, uh, the source of their confidence is in God's promise of his proximity, that he's right there with them. That is the source of their confidence. And then God follows up his negative command, don't fear, which is this first step of, of, of moving, moving beyond sin, is do not fear. But then he follows up this negative command, don't fear, with a positive command, do learn from your failures. And this is the next step of moving on from sin, from, from our own personal favor, failure. This is how Jesus gets us back upon our feet again. He says, do not fear. And then he says, but do learn from your failures. Now, I've heard many people say, more than I can remember, something along the lines of this. I wouldn't change anything in my life, even the tough times, because it's through the tough times that I learned something that I grew. In fact, I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for my mistakes. And this sounds noble, but I think perhaps it's overstating the fact. Should we really be grateful for our sins and our failures? For example, imagine if maybe Joseph had, had actually given in to the advances of, of uh, Potiphar's wife. Now, through it, he'd have learned a really good lesson he'd have then repented and he'd have grown. But then how maybe presumptuous would it have been for him in his later years, you know, you know, to say, well, I know I shouldn't have slept with her, but if I didn't, then I wouldn't have learned from it and I wouldn't be the person I am today. That moment of weakness formed me. Now, this is treading very close to saying, God, you bless sin in my life. And this is clearly not, not what's written in the Bible. So even though maybe Joseph would have learned from his moment of weakness, from his sin, uh, sure, he might have learned how to be more careful next time. But how much more amazing of a testimony is it that, that he resisted her advances, that he ended up finding himself in jail because of a vindictive, sexually frustrated woman that he met, you know, the baker and the wine and the wine man who proved his mad skills of dream interpretation and ended up rescuing the known world from famine and becoming the second in command of all Egypt. So which would you rather? Would you rather a Joseph who showed he had integrity or a Joseph who sinned and learned a hard lesson? My point is this, is that God's plan and his wish for us is that we don't sin that we abstain from evil. This is his plan. This is his call. This is his marching orders for everyone who calls themselves a Christian. So, So let's not pretend that sin that grieves God is somehow noble, which is why in 1 John chapter 1, verse 21, we read this. 1 John chapter 1, uh, it's 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, sorry. It says this. My, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. This is God's plan A. And this is what Joseph lived out. 
I write this to you so that you will not sin. But then he goes on and he says this, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what John is saying here is that he's saying, don't sin. Please don't sin. Please resist. Please stay away. For the love of God, do not sin. With everything in your being, don't sin. But if you do sin, don't let your heart fail or your faith fail. Because if you do sin, we have Jesus who paid the price for our sin. And what that means is that there's hope after sinning. And that hope has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. So, so we need to stop with this line of thinking that we're almost proud of where our sin and our decisions have led us. That's not glorifying to God, so stop it. But can God redeem those times? Can God even take our sinful choices and our giving into temptation and somehow rob Satan of having the last word? Of course he can. And one of the ways he does this is by allowing us to learn from our mistakes, those times that we've crashed and burned, those times that we have grieved him. And so with the Israelites, this was the case, which is why God says to him in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, take the whole army with you and go and attack Ai. Take the whole army with you. What he's saying here is learn from your mistakes. You are done with your, your days of underestimating the enemy. That, 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 that those times when you made an assumption that, that you could go and take the whole city with only 3,000 people, with a token force, with a little prayer, with maybe 10 minutes with me in the morning, those, those days are gone. Learn from your mistakes. Take the whole army with you. God's saying, don't be idiots. And sometimes when God restores us from sin, sometimes the, re- the relief of things being right between us and God can lull us into a false sense of security. Things are good. We feel good. And sometimes the knowledge that God is with us can kind of allow us to think that we can be lazy, that we can be half-hearted, that we can... We can maybe underestimate the power of the enemy, but God does not give us this luxury. He says, yes, do not be afraid, but also you have to be wise. He says, be smart. He says, be prepared. He says, bring out the big guns. Bring everything that you have against the enemy, because that's what's needed to have a victory over the enemy. Every soldier, every piece of weaponry. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 12, we read this. For our, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Because it's only as we put on all of God's armor that we can stand. We need to take the whole army with us. So let me ask you this. Who's in your army? Who's fighting side by side with you in the battle? Who's shoulder to shoulder with you in the fray? 
Because if you're not being honest about your struggles and your sins and your temptations and your proclivities with at least one person, no matter how much you say to yourself, do not be afraid because God is with me, you will fail. You will fail. You will be cut down time and time again. Why is this? Because you were not created to be an army of one. You were created to be part of a whole army. Now, I remember my, 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 my first accountability partner on the missionary ship Logos 2. His name was Andy. And I remember first sharing with him about my struggle with lust and with, and, and, and with these struggles of the mind. And at that moment of honesty, which scared the something out of me, I gained an ally. I gained a soldier who would fight with me in the trenches. And, and I've been bringing fellow soldiers along with me ever since then. Folks who will fight alongside me. Folks who take sin and holiness really seriously. As much as I can, I take the whole army with me. My wife is in the army. My grow group is in my army. My Christian brothers are in my army. My mentors are in my army. Writers from of the faith hundreds of years ago were in my army. The author of the Bible is in my army. Einstein said this, we, we, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking we used when we created them. Let me say that again. We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking we used when we created them. We need something new, something more, something fresh, something else. And what God said was, you do something different. Take the whole army with you this time. So when we're moving on from sin, we have to remember not to fear. Do not fear, but do learn from your failures. Thirdly, don't stay down. Get up. Now what what God says in Joshua is this. Joshua chapter 8, verse verse 1. He says, take the whole army with you and go up. And attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his land, and and his city. So when we're recovering from sin, it's easy to be maybe tentative about re-entering the fray. How many times have I fallen into sin? And maybe you can empathize with me, but how many times have I fallen into sin and then it happens again? Not long afterwards. Because... I think the reason is because I feel bad about sinning, which leads me to try to feel maybe better about myself. And what makes me feel maybe better about myself is sin, because it works short term. It makes me feel good, therefore I sin again. But what God says is he says, go up and he says, attack AI right there and then. And there's there's another translation that says, arise Go up to Ai. Because God was planning to hand Ai over to the hands of the Israelites. That was his plan. But if they didn't get up, if they didn't arise and go, they would have never found that out. It would have been unwon. It would have been a war that was unwon. So they had to move in order to find out that thing that God had promised to them anyways. Because here's, here's how it works. God's promises only become realized through our obedience. God's promises only become realized 
through our obedience. There was this hymn writer who said this, Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus I wait, Jesus I wait, into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus I wait for thee. Is that what the hymn writer said? No. The hymn writer said this, Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus I come, Jesus I come, into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus I come to thee, out of the sickness, out of my sickness, into thy health, out of my want and into thy wealth, out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus I come unto thee. So we need to praise God for this motion that moves us beyond our sin and into victory. So arise and get up and attack again and again and again. Should we wait until we feel good or we feel motivated or we feel that God has truly forgiven us? No. Because our reason is not how we feel. Our reason for actually getting up and going is this, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Jesus is in the battle. He meets us there. So we need to get up and go into the battle in order to know his presence. We, we will not know his presence as we hold back from walking into the fray. The life of faith is a life of walking forwards. It's a, it has forward motion, walking towards Jesus, walking towards the battle. And what's the last reminder that we are given when moving on from, uh, from, from the failure of sin? Number one, we're told that we're told do not fear. Number one, number two, we're told do learn from your failures. Number three, we're told do not stay down, but get up. And number four, do follow God's word. You see, I've not even touched most of chapter eight. I've touched one verse, maybe two. And most of the rest of the chapter uh, really talks about how they won that war. And it makes for intriguing reading. It would make for an excellent movie. Um, And what it really says through all of these verses is that the Israelites are smart. They, They fool the AI army into chasing after them, leaving their city, and then they capture them in a pincer maneuver. It's brilliant, and the, and the city is taken. The king is killed. But that's not what we're focusing on here today. But what we do learn is that Jericho and AI were two very different um, situations with two very different strategies. But the how is not nearly as important as the why, which is why we've not even looked at the battle here today. Read that in your own time. Excellent reading. But then in verse 30, we're treated to this epic theater production and the stage is two mountains next to each other mount gerizim and mount ebal and the actors so that's the stage and uh and if you go online you can actually see these mountains they are there it exists it's true it's 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 historic so that's the stage mount gerizim and mount ebal this is the stage the actors are the israelites and the director of the production is god himself now, when I'm trying to remember to remind myself of something, I usually don't just try to remember. I don't just rely on my memory. If I need to rem- rem- remember, for example, my anniversary, 
I don't just hope I remember when the time comes. And maybe some of the men here would know that's not a wise thing for you to do. Just rely on your memory. So what I do instead is I set myself a reminder in my Google Calendar. And if I need to remember something urgent, I won't just try to remember it and say, I hope in the morning I remember this. What instead I do is I write it on a piece of paper and I stick it somewhere I will see it, either on the fridge door or on the side of the doorway going out out of the kitchen. I might even write it on my hand if it's really time sensitive. So the more urgent or the more important something is, the greater pains I will take to remind myself. Now earlier, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter chapter 27, the Lord gave Moses a script that, that, that was to be played, worked out after they'd entered the promised land. And it was to be played out on these two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Half of the Israelites were, were to stand in front of Mount Ebal and half of the Israelites were to stand at the foot of Mount Gerizim. So fast forward now, that was the plan which God told Moses, fast forward, they've entered the promised land, here they are. And this is the moment that the script is, 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 is played out. And so here, here is Joshua. He's set up some large stones. He covers them in plaster because that's what God told Moses in Deuteronomy 27. And this is a massive reminder. It's a post-it note to the rest of the Israelites. And what has he written on these big stones covered in plaster? Well, he's written the words of the law. He set them out, set them up on Mount Mount Ebal, it's a massive note. It's a reminder. Don't forget the law. And next, and right next to the stones with, with, with the, with the law written on it, he set up, he's made an altar of stones that he found lying around. And as we read in Deuteronomy 27 verse 7, it says he offers burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. And then what happens next is that the the tribes, half of the tribes of the Israelites are in front of Mount Gerizim, and they represent all of the blessings that will come if they keep uh, within the limits and the bounds of the covenant. And then on the other side, right across from them, in front of Mount Ebal, are the other half of, half of the Israelites who are, who are representing the curses that will follow if they break the covenant. And you can read what those specific curses are and blessings in Deuteronomy 27 and chapter 28. But what's worth noting is that the blessings just take four verses to outline, but the curses take 11 verses to outline. And what it says is that the Levites are supposed to recite these in a loud voice, which it would have to be if everyone in the valley at the foot of these mountains will hear. And what this shows us is that right at the moment when we win, when the Lord wins for us, at the moment when we are victors, is this reminder that the battle is still raging. We cannot let up. We cannot relax. And this is the last step in moving on from sin, reminding ourselves of the law of God, reminding ourselves of God's written commands that we would follow his word. 
Now, I know that because of the bent in me towards sin, that I need these warnings. I need a God who's realistic about my sin. And that's what they needed too. And that's probably what you need as well, is a realistic God who's realistic about the sin that is in your life. They need a God and we need a God who doesn't mess around, um, who doesn't hide the truth, who doesn't maybe sugarcoat it. They had seen what happens to a culture who has embraced sin and rejected him. And so they needed a stern reminder not to let it happen in their own lives. And so the warnings are are very specific. And I would encourage you, like I said, read them and let the Holy Spirit speak into your life as to where you have to be paying attention. Let Christ, as, as we've been reading over this past week, let Christ into, into that closet, that locked closet of your heart that is his home. But it's all summed up in verse 26 of Deuteronomy 27, where it says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law through, through carrying them out. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of, of, of this law. So the battle of Ai has been won. It was a victory because God told them not to be afraid. He was with them. It was a victory because they learned from their mistakes of the past. It was a victory because they got up straight away and they attacked again. And they did not allow fear or laziness to hold them down. And it was a victory because they followed the word of the Lord. They reminded themselves by renewing the covenant with him by writing out, all of the law by, by listing all of the blessings of following God and the curses from not following God. So do not be afraid. Do not learn or do learn from your mistakes. Don't stay down. Get up. And lastly, do follow the word of God. This is how Jesus gets us back on our feet again. But I want to leave you with something else. And this more than anything I've said today should encourage you if you are, if, if you're in the battle. And if you're not a follower of Christ yet, My prayer is that this shows you exactly what you are missing out on. If you are living in the darkness of -of out-of-control sin, then there is only one hope for you. Let me explain. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, and his commands always. This is the line that God has created that we all have to reach. All we have to do is to love God, keep all of his requirements, keep all of his commands always. That's all we have to do if we're going to have this this relationship with God. And if we do that, we're good. If we don't do that, then we are done for. And then if you read in verse 28 of chapter 11 of Deuteronomy, it says this. It says, see, I am, I am setting before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if, if you obey the commands of the Lord, your, your God, that I am giving you, you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord, your God. So in front of the Israelites is a choice of a life of blessing or a life that is cursed. But the requirement to live the life of blessing is a life of obedience to obey all his requirements, his decrees, and his commands, always. And the reality is that we aren't able to do that, which means that we're all cursed, every single one of us. 
Without exception, all of you sat here are cursed. Me on the stage, I am cursed. Because we all sin and we break God's holy commandments. We cannot fulfill the requirements of the law, therefore we forfeit. And if you read in the book of Galatians chapter 3, 3 verse 10, it says exactly this again. It says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So if we can't obey the law ourselves, what we need is a substitute Someone who, who can do it for us. If we can't answer the exam questions ourselves, we need someone who can sit in our place and who can sit through the test for us. But then we read on in Galatians chapter 3. That's, that, that's not where it ends. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And what this means is that Jesus stood between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim for us. That that those curses that should be ours, he took upon himself. Our lies, our pride, our hatred, our fear, our weakness, our, our idol worship, our inability to keep it in our pants, our selfishness. He took all that on himself. He took that curse that was heading our way and he absorbed it. Every single last ounce of it. He became a cosmic filtration system. Curses went into him and the blessings came out. He fulfilled the law absolutely perfectly for us. And he he paid in entirety the fact that we cannot keep the law ourselves. Which is why it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Only through Jesus can we know a God who tells us not to fear. Only through Jesus can we know a God who redeems our sinful past and lets us learn from our mistakes. Only through Jesus can we hear God say, arise, get up, and attack your enemies. Only through through trust, trusting in Jesus' curse-eradicating sacrifice can we follow and obey the commands of the Lord. Through God himself indwelling in us and, and bringing us to life through the Holy Spirit. So in front of you here today is Mount Gerizim and, and Mount Ebal, the blessings and the curses. And what is needed in order to grab hold of the, uh, to grab hold of the blessings? What is needed to know the bliss of the curses falling away from you? Faith. Faith that Jesus paid it all. Faith that Jesus is our curse eradicator. Faith that he is the cosmic filtration system that turns the curses of God into the blessings from him. Because it says in the Bible, as, as, as you believe God, it's, it's credited to your account as righteousness. That's faith, which becomes righteousness. We left Millie shaken. She's fallen down twice. This fear is eating away at her and her blindness is her greatest reality. And that's some of us here right now. We've fallen twice, three times, 50 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. And that fear is eating away at us. That sin is, is really chomping away at us. We know that we're blind and we're scared and we cannot do it on our own. So perhaps what we need is to hear God telling us, not to fear, to arise, and to take the whole army with us. This is what Millie said 
When I'm skiing, all I can hear is Brett and his skis. I'm, I'm only aware of following, following Brett's commands. I zone in, and that's all that I am focused on. And maybe what we need is to hear God saying to us that the price is paid, that the curse of the law has been lifted by Christ. Maybe we need to zone in on that. Maybe that's all that we have to be focused on. So let's actually follow Christ. Let's actually throw ourselves down this mountainside of life, knowing that Jesus is in front of us, showing us the way, whispering in our ear, this is faith, this is obedience. Jesus is the one who gets us back on our feet again. This is what Millie said of her guide, Brett Knight. She, she said this, I wouldn't want to follow anyone else down a mountain. And maybe that's what you have to do. You, all that you need is the faith the size of a, size of a mustard seed to say to Jesus, I wouldn't want to follow anyone else down a mountainside. And Jesus is ready. He's waiting. He's eager. And Jesus is the one who will get you back on your feet again.